0: Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Moran. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS, College Radio, right here, FM. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. On today's program, we're going to uh, to point out that I guess imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. We're going to imitate one of our other... Co hosts here in the public affairs lineup on KDVS. Stephen Valentino a few weeks back had Joyce Riley, RN, on the program. Joyce Riley is a spokesperson for the American Gulf War Veterans Association and talked a bit about her DVD, well, her group's DVD, Beyond Treason, subtitled The U.S. Government's Long History of Condu- Conducting Deadly Military Experiments. Uh, that was a good interview. We liked, uh, we, we were interested in, in having Joyce Riley speak to you through our program, and she will do so today in the second segment. Stay tuned for that. And in this day in history, September 15th, 1810, in Mexico, revolutionary priest Miguel Hidalgo delivers a speech called The Cry of Dolores. It's repeated now each year in Mexico to celebrate national independence. So, happy birthday, Mexico. And on this date in history, September 15th, in the year 53, according to tradition, the future Roman Emperor Trajan was born. He was the first Roman Emperor to be born outside of Italy, originating in what is today Spain. We like to talk about politics and history in this program. Let's take a little moment to digress on this point of the Emperor Trajan and go back to the year 64. At that time, Nero was emperor of Rome. He was the last of the family of the Caesars. From Julius Caesar on forward to Nero, all of the uh, emperors were related. We would remind you that in the year 64, a great fire destroyed much of Rome. The emperor, Nero, hastened back from a vacation to supervise the firefighting. But according to a story... He fancied himself a great artist and could not resist exercising his his artistry by singing a song about the burning of Troy while accompanying himself on a lyre. This as he watched the flames from his palace window. This, of course, gave rise to the famous story that Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Well, actually, the fiddle, of course, had not been invented at that time. The musical instrument was the lyre. But, uh, Nero was a very bad guy, and uh, when it was clear he was going to be assassinated, he committed suicide in the year 68. A few emperors followed, and in the year 96, an elderly senator, Marcus Nerva, was chosen to become emperor. He was the first of what are called five good emperors. He tried to rule humanely and to avoid arbitrary behavior, which was characteristic of the emperors from uh, the earlier period, which of course included Caligula and Nero. At any rate, Nerva only lived for a short time after becoming emperor, but he lived long enough to do something very sensible. He adopted Marcus Opius Traianus, or Trajan, who became emperor in 98. This started a sensible uh, pattern of having the emperor adopt a worthy young man and groove hi- and groom him for succession. Because we're we're fascinated by these continuing uh, parallels, uh, looking at uh, Nero meeting his, his his ill fate due to his bad handling of the disaster that took place in Rome, uh, we note another parallel in that Trajan took the Roman uh, legions and marched east into Armenia and down the Tigris Euphrates Valley, where he annexed that uh, oldest of all civilizations into the Roman Empire. It was rather short-lived, however. The province of Mesopotamia and Assyria was, uh, was let go after, after uh, Trajan died and was replaced by another adopted son, Hadrian. Hadrian favored defensible borders, so he built a wall across northern England to keep the warlike Scots uh, north of that border and let the Tigris-Euphrates Valley return to Parthian rule. He was followed by Antonius Pius, uh, who was another good emperor, And uh, Antonius Pius was then followed by Marcus Aurelius. So if you're keeping score, we had five good emperors back for an 80-year run in the old Roman Empire. Nerva, Trajan, Hadrian, Antonius Pius, and Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius, however, as you're perhaps familiar with from the movie Gladiator, did something stupid. Instead of appointing a well-groomed, worthy, adopted son to become emperor, He decided to roll the dice with his own gene pool and had his own 'er near-do-well son, Commodus, take over as emperor. Commodus, uh, according to the history books, neglected his duties and became unpopular. He was assassinated in the year 192, and uh, the Pax Romana was just about over by that point as life became increasingly severe in Rome. The lesson from history, according to this correspondent, is... It's a bad policy to put a numbskull son in charge of your country. We will leave it up to the listener to draw conclusions about the present state of affairs in North America. Our quote of the day is one we don't necessarily agree with, but we sort of admire anyway. It comes from the hardest working man in show business, James Brown, who reportedly once said, Any problem in the world can be solved by dancing. All right, thing. and perhaps our most indefatigable uh, letter writer, Jerry, uh, has <laughs> sent us a letter that he sent to John Kerry, and I think I'm just going to read it to you in its entirety. Dear Mr. Kerry, I cannot believe that you have the audacity to promote, quote, count every vote, unquote, on your website. Have you forgotten you ran in 2004 on the promise that this time every vote will count? Have you forgotten that you collected tens of millions of dollars for a special fund from your naive supporters designed to help you fulfill that pledge? Surely you've not forgotten that you conceded the election with nary a peep, despite evidence of massive fraud in Ohio and several other states. Many of your former supporters wonder whatever became of the money you collected to ensure that, quote, every vote would count, unquote, but that you never spent, at least not toward its intended purpose. Your current activities make it quite clear you are again seeking the Democratic nomination for the presidency in 2008 despite your failure to ensure the integrity of the voting process in 2004. That is an insult to all those who voted for you, expecting you to keep your promise. Far worse, you are once again championing count every vote. That is like George W. Bush championing gold star mothers for peace. You are a hypocrite, Mr. Kerry, and a patronizing one at that. How dare you think we would fall for your phony commitment to fight for the integrity of the voting process twice. If you are ever again on the national Democratic ticket, I will vote independent. We have to side with Jerry on that one. What is John Kerry thinking? He did collect a lot of money to make sure every vote counted. And then what did he do? He Like the next day, oh, I can't possibly be the vi- I can't possibly be the winner here. I'm going to be the nice guy and just bow right out. None of that unseemly squabble like with Al Gore back in 2000. No, I'm just going to give up the ship. And we would like to remind you that, you know, if you're with the statistical statistics department here at UC Davis, please uh, send us a letter at info at radioparallax.com and see if you don't concur with the statistical analysis, the opinion we offered on this show a couple of weeks back, that the odds that uh, there was a national swing of... Uh, of exit polls of 3% to carry to 2.5% for Bush. The odds of that happening by chance are approximately 960,000 to 1. All right, for future reference, I don't know whether we will be able to get Dean Orville Shell from the UC Berkeley School of Journalism to speak to you, the UC Davis uh, listening audience here, but uh, I spoke to Dr. Shell's office yesterday. He's a very busy man, but may yet uh, may, may, may come and talk to us about his essay, Bombs Away on Television News. This was uh, printed in the Los Angeles Times, September 12th, and I'd like to quote a little bit from that. I want to bomb the whole building, CBS chairman Leslie Moonviz reportedly told his colleagues, as if his network's once-legendary news-gathering operation had become an enemy outpost within the larger Viacom conglomerate. As we've reported on this program numerous times, of course, as, as the news media becomes ever more infotainment, it seems clear that uh, CBS chairman Moonves believes that that's the direction we need to head in even more. Apparently, CBS has just been way too devoted to this hardco- hardcore news concept. According to a profile in New York Times Magazine, Moonves believes it's time to, quote, break the mold in news, unquote, and reinvent the network. We don't have a choice, he said. Why is change so essential? It seems that American audiences don't like dark, Moonvis said. They like strength, not weakness. A chance to work out any dilemma. This country's built on optimism. His solution, according to the Times profile, is to make his news programs more like his entertainment shows with, quote, better stories told by attractive personalities in exciting ways, unquote. Orville Schell notes uh, later in the essay that if avoiding dark becomes the criteria for broadcast, how will Americans learn about such stories as New Orleans and Iraq, never mind Sierra Leone, Kosovo, the melting polar ice cap, or the dying oceans? If only perky, upbeat stories and shows make it onto the air, who will inform the public and play the watchdog role? Most correspondents, editors, and producers at CBS and elsewhere in the industry want to do serious journalism. But as the media gets increasingly ratings-driven and profit-hungry, fewer and fewer news division executives support them in this effort. The result is too many excellent broadcast journalists now feel discouraged, debased, and disgusted. Still later in the essay, Dr. Shell asks, how will the public— which is, still gets most of its news and information from broadcast, learn what it needs to know. The reality is that it is increasingly less realistic to expect commercial broadcast outlets to effectively serve two masters the public interest and the corporate bottom line. We certainly hope that uh, the Dean Orville Shell from UC Berkeley will speak to us here at Radio Parallax. I'm crossing my fingers, and uh, we hope to have him on next week's show. And I think we probably should uh, have a more celebratory note of the fact that Israel has completed its pullout from Gaza. We just note that looking at a picture of this, an Israeli bulldozer is leveling a settlement. Why did the Israeli bulldozers have to knock down all those buildings? Couldn't they have left them there to be occupied by Palestinians? (sighs) <sighs> well, that was it was a unilateral action. I don't think the Palestinians were asked what their opinion would be whether they liked to have these buildings left standing. They just went in and knocked them down. They did, however, leave all the synagogues standing, perhaps so that when angry uh, Palestinians uh, came into Gaza, into these settlements, uh, by you know desecrating and burning down some of the synagogues, it would then inflame Israeli public opinion. I don't know why. How else you can explain it? And uh, before we end this segment we should note that apparently the mark of rove has surfaced in uh, in scapegoating Michael Brown as head of FEMA he was uh, he was he was basically removed from his duties and then basically uh, afterwards quit The Bush administration of course is taking has got a huge black eye over its inability to uh, to uh handle what was a predictable I mean for years it's been predicted that New Orleans would uh, would face a storm surge in a bad hurricane and would cause all kinds of trouble. Someone sent me an email a few weeks back, uh, just a, a very incomplete list of FEMA in action. FEMA wouldn't accept Amtrak's help in evacuations. FEMA turned away experienced firefighters. FEMA turned back Walmart supply trucks. FEMA prevented Coast Guard from delivering diesel fuel. FEMA wouldn't let Red Cross deliver food. FEMA bars morticians from entering New Orleans. Article in the Sacramento Bee, September thirteenth. I, I love this from the B This is from the Bee News Services. Noted <laughs> that in addition to the criticism for FEMA's poor response to Hurricane Katrina, uh, Director Brown was accused of padding his resume, beefing up what little emergency-related experience he had said he had before he was named General Counsel of FEMA in two thousand and one. Brown was named FEMA Director in two thousand and three. Perhaps not coincidentally was a college friend of the previous head of FEMA, Joe Albaugh, who served as director of Bush's 2000 presidential campaign. Brown had worked, Brown, I love this part, Brown, who had worked as an attorney for the International Arabian Horse Association and as a private lawyer, claimed to have been an assistant city manager in charge of emergency services in Edmond, Oklahoma. But city officials in Edmond said his job was closer to that of an intern. On Monday, before Brown resigned, FEMA changed his official biography to note that he was, quote, assistant to the city manager, unquote, of Edmond, Oklahoma. George Bush, when he traveled down uh, to take a look at the scene, (laughs) said to Michael Brown, Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. That was a from September 2nd, as he was touring the storm-ravaged Gulf Coast region. However, on that very same day, Bush acknowledged that the results of the relief effort were, quote, not acceptable, unquote. But the, the president's comments, I think, pale in the insignificance compared to that of his mom, Barbara Bush, who, uh, <laughs> while visiting a, a, a shelter set up apparently in Houston, suggested that those who had lost their homes were now better off because they got to sleep in a baseball stadium-turned-shelter. Quote, So many of the people in the arena here, you know, they were underprivileged anyway. So this is working very well for them, she said. (laughs) Apparently Scott McClellan would not comment as to whether her son agrees with his, his mother's comments. But really, taking the cake in all of this has to be... Representative Richard Baker, Republican who represents Baton Rouge, he was overheard expressing happiness that the hurricane had wiped out public housing. We finally cleaned up public housing in New Orleans, Baker said. We couldn't do it, but God did. (laughs) Later, Baker issued a statement saying his quotation was taken out of context and that he wants only to improve conditions for public housing in New Orleans. And anyway... Let him eat cake down there in New Orleans. All right, that's it for this segment. Stay tuned. In our second segment, we're going to speak with Joyce Riley, RN, a spokesperson for the American Gulf War Veterans Association. You're listening to Radio Parallax. This is KDVS, 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento, and I'm your host, Douglas Everett. If my words did glow with the gold of sunshine and my tunes were played on the heart on the strung, would you hear my voice come through the music?